Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, an old proverb says repetition makes mastery, but sometimes it feels like all we're mastering is a cure for insomnia. There's a new broker's code of practice. It's similar to the old one, but with some differences. But when are we going to stop practicing? Not anytime soon, it appears. We've talked more about the weather than the British Tory party backroom COVID work events, but there's still more to discuss. And much like the Tories, there's a horrific twist at the end. It's not as scary as Boris Johnson. It's just the exorcism of a ghost broker. Cue screams, sound effects, and lots of scary things. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Chairman Terry Murder McMullen, Editor John Deadly Deeks, and Deputy Editor Wendy Poltergeist Pugh. Hello, Terry. Good morning. Do you like talking about the weather? I like talking about the weather. I'm not sure I like talking about being a murderer, though. <laughs> Good morning, John. Morning. Did you know that 90% of the British have talked about the weather in the last six hours? Well, that is extraordinary, isn't it? That is a lot of... Oh, it's cold, isn't it? It's hot at the moment. It's, it's over 30, I think. Oh, pew, what a scorcher. Oh, dear. <laughs> and hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. I'm sure you've got a lot more interesting things to talk about. Well, actually, I do like talking about the weather. It's one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, on that note, we're actually going to look at the main stories of the week, which are admittedly similar to the stories we discussed last week. But Wendy, let's talk about the new broker's code of practice. Apparently, the implementation has one part of it that's been delayed. Yes, well, the, the new code is due to take effect from November, but Nebus made the, the decision to delay Section 6.1, which is about disclosing remuneration. Um, so this will be delayed by 12 months until November next year. And that decision uh, followed some discussions with brokers and their IT providers where it became apparent that some of the changes wouldn't be able to be made made in time for, for this year's start date. Is the delay a big problem, John? Well, yes and no, I think. I mean, it's obviously a very important part of the new code. As Wendy says, it, it relates to disclosure and transparency, and that's a key aspect when it comes to this debate about commissions. Wendy's analysis piece that she wrote for this week's bulletin to, uh, refers back to John Trowbridge's report on this issue, where he essentially said that commissions could continue, but the one thing we must do is be completely open about them. So to delay this part of the code, I think, is disappointing. But on the flip side, you could argue that uh, if you go back to the level of complaints about brokers, they are incredibly low compared to the level of complaints about insurers. So we've obviously got the old code, which is very old by this point. It was, uh, I think it was put together in 2014, but it's doing a job. It's doing a good job because consumers aren't, aren't being harmed uh, by brokers or, or they're, at least they're not complaining about it. So yes, it's disappointing that this bit gets delayed. If it's down to IT issues, then fair enough. And in the meantime, we'll just have to do the best that we can. Terry, is this the first time the code has been delayed? I really don't think you you can expect to devise a, a meaningful code of practice that has to have universal support without some pushback, especially when you address issues like disclosure of commission, which is in no way a new issue. It, it's been hanging around broking for as long as I can remember. In 1993-94, when the insurer's code was first devised, I remember the pushback that initially resulted from 
some CEOs as being pretty intense. When, when you're consulting with members on a thing like this, you inevitably find some senior people who are out of the loop on a day-to-day basis suddenly realising what's happening and demanding everyone walk it back to a point where they feel comfortable. This has happened with Neva, and experience tells us it, it will blow over. The difficulty for Phil Kewen at Neva is the fact that he's pulled this revision for the code together in record time after Neva copped a lot of criticism for doing nothing to update its code for 14 years. The insurer's code, I think, is in its fourth or, or fifth version, and it really has addressed more and more societal based issues as it's developed. So the change has sort of been eased in gradually and continuously. NEBA doesn't really have that luxury because it's trying to catch up with the expectations of the the regulators and the public. It's a big leap for some, but, you know, that's really how it is. Well, John, the commission's issue is still being fiercely debated in the life arena too. That's right. As we know, we've got this quality of advice review ongoing and, and there are over a hundred submissions to it and a couple of them we we report on in our, our bulletin this week. The Association of Financial Advisors has hit back very strongly against submissions made by Choice and Industry Super Australia, where those organizations said that life insurance commissions should be banned. The AFA says that is based on flawed logic, and it says that it's it's more about trying to protect the insurance offerings of the super funds. And they say that there's no comparison really between the insurance that's on offer, the default insurance that's on offer in industry funds, compared to the kind of insurance that an advisor can arrange for you. We've also got a report on the FSCs, uh, the Financial Services Council's submission. And they make a good point about commissions. The advisor, the ad- advisor will only get paid if the insurance is arranged and, and put in place. And with life insurance, there's no guarantee of that, the amount of questions that get asked through the underwriting process. So they point out that people may be unwilling to pay a fee in the first instance, knowing that they might not actually get anything for it in the end if they can't get the insurance in place. And we have heard similar arguments from general insurance brokers around that issue. Well, Terry, you got your crystal ball out for the broker's side. Now, um, do you have any idea how this might pan out? Well, I think take it back to basics. I think the industry and even those factions within the, the competition regulator who really want to see commissions killed are slowly coming to the conclusion that commissions make it possible for more people to obtain specialist advice at minimal cost. General insurance brokers, I think, have an even more compelling case to retain commission. And there's a good chance that they will if intermediaries can accept that disclosure of commissions is glued to all the other things. Well, I know we talked about whether last week and the week before that and the week before that, but it's Wendy's turn to shine. She loves talking about it. It's not likely to get any better, is it, Wendy? Yes, we've been talking a lot about La Nina, which is in the Pacific Ocean, but there's another climate influence called the Indian Ocean Dipole. And when it moves into this negative territory, it's associated with above average winter and spring rainfall for much of Australia. 
So the Bureau said last week that the uh, IOD index had been very close to or had exceeded these negative thresholds over the past four weeks. And a negative IOD is increasingly likely, which would indicate, you know, more, more wet weather to come over the coming couple of months. And in fact, it says the Indian Ocean factors and what's been happening in the ocean below Australia have influenced this severe wet weather that we've had in New South Wales. How are the claims figures looking for the most recent event, John? Yeah, so we're now up to about 10,500 claims at an estimated loss of $122 million. So I guess you'd say that's not huge when you compare it to the $4.8 billion from the event in February and March that was declared a catastrophe. But I mean, it's still significant, as the Insurance Council points out, for some people, it's their fourth flood in 18 months. And ICA CEO Andrew Hall says it's untenable to um, just allow that to just keep happening. He says, you've got to stand back and ask the question, have we built homes in the wrong spot? And I guess the answer to that is fairly obvious. Well, now there's some big news at ACLA, John, with the CEO set to retire. Yes, that's right. The, The CEO of the Australasian Institute of Chartered Loss Adjusters, Tony Libke, is retiring after more than three decades with the group and its predecessor organisation. So ACLA says Brad Dean will take over from August the 1st and they'll work together for a transitional period until uh, around late October. The organisation really pays tribute to Tony's part in the group and and the merging of its previous predecessor organizations and you know it says that it's made an awful lot of progress under his leadership with membership now at a record level in excess of a thousand members and financial reserves looking pretty healthy too I could make some pun about how they're going to adjust to his loss, but I won't. Terry, I imagine Tony would have seen a fair bit of change in loss adjusting over 30 years. Yeah, he's been around managing the loss adjusters for a long time, and he's he's done a pretty wonderful job combining three loss adjuster organisations into one umbrella, which I, at the time, thought was probably impossible. He's built a really big professional base in Asia as well as here and across the Tasman, and he's driving a qualifications program that's highly effective. Loss adjusting is one of those insurance sectors that's undergone some tremendous change over the past 20 years or so. Tony's also a terrific bloke and a very good friend, and I think that his replacement has some very big shoes to fill. Well, finally, Wendy, UK authorities have exercised a ghost broker like no other. Can you tell me what is a ghost broker and what makes this one so special? Well, the um, Insurance Fraud Bureau uncovered someone acting as a fake broker. So he set up hundreds of fraudulent motor policies on behalf of other people using false details and incorrect bank accounts. And this particular guy, the police say, pocketed £50,000 over 15 months, which is nearly $90,000. And and apparently some people were also willing participants in in this scheme. So the uh, fraud targeted some of the UK's biggest insurance companies and then uh, policies were um, cancelled by the insurers eventually because of issues with the the banking and the payments. So the the man was uh, sentenced for 21 months imprisonment, suspended for two years and um, ordered to complete 180 hours of unpaid work. Have you heard of this kind of thing happening here, Terry? 
Not exactly. I, I took a quick stroll through the archives of insurance news and found a few examples of unlicensed brokers getting into trouble, but that's another thing entirely. No, it's not common here. Most people in, in Australia buy their motor insurance direct from reputable brands. This sort of, of crime could increase in Australia as car premiums rise and, and owners search unfamiliar channels to find cheaper deals. But it's worth noting that the onus is on the purchaser of the insurance, not the insurer to have proper car insurance. So I don't think that we, we need to worry too much about being haunted by ghost brokers. All right. Well, I feel safe again to go out at night. And that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.